What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Finishing up Tears Week with tight ends. You know who the two elite guys are. What about after that? I think there's a really, really exciting group in the middle of your drafts with guys like Hunter Henry and Tyler Higby and Evan Ingram. And we'll see what kind of potential they have. As we welcome you to the show here, we're recording on Wednesday morning. So we don't know all the updated franchise news. Doesn't really matter. You're going to hear this on Thursday. And if you tuned into our Twitch mock draft on Tuesday night, thank you so much for that. I'm Adam Azer. Dave Richard is here. Hey, Dave, what's up? He's saluting me. Hey, sir. Yeah, we're on YouTube. Ben and Heath are both wearing hats. Heath, nice hat. Nice CBS Sports HQ hat. Reppin', good job. Thank you. I just I think this is the first time I've worn a hat on the podcast, possibly. But I've noticed everybody else is wearing hats, and I hadn't uh, got my hair did yet today, so I uh, just put a hat on. That's Back a sweet hat. We had backwards hats in our byline photos. Really, those were fun. A lot of hats. Yeah, you're right, Heath. Everybody's worn. I've worn a hat once. Ben wears a hat every time. I don't know what it means. It's got. Well, four letters I mean, on since it. I haven't cut my hair in uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how many months, it's kind of necessary. Yeah, no, I, and I should do the same. I look ridiculous. Uh, speaking of ridiculous, I was thinking of starting the show with a ridiculous Azer stat. I'm kind of having fun with this game now. I don't think I'm going to do it, though. I'll just get to it. Come on. But this is what Adam does to you, right? He, 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 <laughs> no, he, I'll do it he later. finds an angle that becomes a thing on the show, and then he says, ah, I'm not going to do it. He takes a step back only to take the step forward. So he's going to do it. Go ahead, Adam. The floor is yours. All right. Th- all right. No, you know, fine. Fine, Dave. I'll do it. You're going to twist my, arm, <laughs> twist my leg. Uh, John U. Smith, 10 games with Ryan Tannehill. In the six games in those 10, the Tannehill threw more than 22 passes. John U. Smith was on pace for 61 catches, 832 yards, and eight touchdowns. Every time Tannehill... Through more than twenty-two passes, John Smith was really good. Basically, um, and he was a borderline top twelve tight end, like even including the bad games. I think he had two games with no targets, and I think yeah. he was thirteenth from the point that um, Ryan Tannehill took over, and was second on the team in targets in the three playoff games, tied with AJ Brown, behind only Corey Davis. Yeah, but he had, he had three games with with no with no yards. Um, but in those three games, I mean, Tannehill threw between 18 and 22 passes. So right. if you and, look at the game log, I mean, that that's why there were some bad games. 
That's a great stat. Hey, but, because but, like, but I, he still was super to, bad in those games. So, you know. But to add some context, between 18 and 22 passes, even if you just go to 22 passes, you, you do that by uh, a 16-game season, that'd be a 352 pass attempt pace. I've, I've said before when we talked about the Titans, we talked about it on Projections Week last week, they threw fewer than 450 passes each of the past two years. It's two of the only four seasons in the last seven years of any team. Uh, so it's very, very low. That's under 450. And and so we're talking about 22, sub-22 pass attempts is like a, a, a sub, you know, it's a 350 pass attempt pace. It's extremely, extremely low volume. It doesn't sound like that low when you think about it on the per game perspective, when you think of 22 attempts. Um, but like even to average 28, 28 attempts is about, uh, is the low end in the league. And, and so you should expect the Titans to at least be throwing 20 to 30 times. So there's a, you know, you know, I think it's notable that anytime they actually threw a reasonable amount of times and they weren't just this really old school football team, which we've talked about, they won't be able to do at will this year. It requires efficiency. It requires them winning games. It's not easy to do that. Um, you know, it'll th- probably happen a couple of times, but anytime they've thrown reasonably that John Smith was that good. I think that's notable. Yeah, John Smith also had double-digit PPR fantasy points in all three weeks of the fantasy playoffs yep. last year. 14 through 16. Then he Clutch. kind of trailed off in the playoffs, in the NFL playoffs. Yeah, because Tannehill barely threw in the playoffs. I mean, he threw 15, 14, and then 31 pass attempts in three playoff games. Um, and again, John Smith did nothing in those first two games, and then he was not great. He had three catches for 38 yards. Actually, he caught a touchdown in one of those games, but he had 12 yards. Yeah, right. Um, it wasn't great. So, yeah, no, I mean, that that just at least opened my eyes to what his target share might be, and he could be the second-leading receiver on the team, right? I, well, and he didn't even play. Like, that coincided. When Ryan Tannehill took over, coincided with when Jonu Smith really started playing a lot of snaps. He did not play, I don't think, even 70% of the snaps before Tannehill became the starter, and he was 80% that week and then 80% most weeks after from that point forward. That's I, interesting. Yeah. And well, they've I, already I, worked out together in Miami this this offseason, so that's kind of cool. Uh, he's he's one of those tight ends that's in that tier of guys that have tons of upside that you can get in the double-digit rounds. We'll get to it. We'll mm-hmm. get to it. But um, it's it's one of many players that might motivate you to draft two tight ends this year. Uh, just last thing with the whole snap share thing. It just so happened that Tannehill starting also coincided with Del- Delaney Walker being out for the season. Uh, Delaney Walker basically only played when Mariota was the quarterback. He got hurt in week seven. That was Tannehill's first start. Um, All righty. So that's, uh, yeah, like Dave said, there are some exciting tight ends late, including Jonu Smith. Some news and notes for you. The Eagles and the Phillies are not going to have fans at their games. Might see more and more of that uh, in the coming days and weeks. Who knows? Like I had assumed, I guess wrongly, that as soon as one team was prohibited by their municipality from having fans that no teams would have fans. I assume that's a pretty big competitive disadvantage. If there is some place out there that's allowed to have 40,000 fans and the team, other team in their division is allowed to have zero. Yeah, but money's money. Heath. And if the NFL has an opportunity to make something, they're going to, they're going to do it during this, this year. So even if some teams aren't allowed to have fans, the ones that are allowed to have even a few fans, they'll make a little bit of revenue off that. That's just so, so it's short-sighted. It's not going to be. I know, but it's not. I, I agree with you. It is short-sighted, and they really probably shouldn't do it. But 
they're looking to try and just get something out of this year. I mean, it's going to be a, a minuscule fraction of what they normally make, but something. Well, I just don't, I don't think in the grand scheme of things, ticket sales are a very, it's, I think that's a minuscule fraction. I, of listen, it's, it's, it's ticket sales, it's parking fees, it's concessions, it's all that stuff. The, the, to the owners, this is a business. And so they well, are trying yeah. to make them as much money back as they can during a year where they know they're going to take a bloodbath on the, on the, uh, on the spreadsheet. Do, so, so do they, do they share ticket sale money? I believe they do to a degree. I don't think it's exactly 50, 50. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. So don't quote me on that, but yeah. I, I think the visiting team does get a cut. I, I, they do in other sports. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You're right. Hey, I, I, don't I just added a ton of targets to Johnny Smith in my projections <laughs> because of your. Yes. All oh, right. Oh, I feel so vindicated. I also said that he was good every time Tannehill threw more than 22 times. That's not exactly true. I mean, I think there were six games and he had like four really good games, but overall the numbers were very good. I just want to clarify that. Uh, and then there's really not much NFL news as of now. Like again, like I said, we have we're recording this before the franchise tag deadline, but Kenny Stills was arrested during a protest. Probably. Probably not something that's really fantasy significant right now. I mean, a lot of people get arrested during protests. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but I think we'll just let this one play itself out. I believe he was one of 87 people doing nothing that were arrested and charged with felonies. I actually heard during all the protests last month, uh, some one of the, like a former police chief or something like that said that he protest organizers would be like hey we're protesting tonight and he'd say okay how many of you guys want to be arrested and then the the organizer would be like these this amount of people want to be arrested they would just plan on it like okay these people protest they want to be arrested so i guess that happens in protests uh all right we are one of 20 finalists for the sports category of the people's choice podcast awards we appreciate all you do for us and we hope that you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance us to the final round we really need your help here, so please help us out and go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category. The link is in the episode description. I've also been tweeting it. We'll post it in our Facebook group. Podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and nominate fantasy football today. Also, Tiger Woods is back. Big Cat is making his first PGA Tour start since February at the Memorial Tournament at Historic um, Moorfield Village. Mirfield. Mirfield Village. Okay. <laughs> Probably should have given me phonetically, you know, uh, phonetically written out read here. The First Cut Golf Podcast has you cover, covered, covered. <laughs> With two stacked preview shows and round-by-round recap pods as Tiger searches for career win number 83. You can find the first cut on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to enjoy podcasts. All right. Tight end question. I asked you this about uh, wide receiver yesterday. Tight end, what's the best tier and what's the worst tier in terms of value, if that exists for tight ends? I don't know. Um... The best tier from Dave's for me is the stream-worthy tier that has both of my favorite late-round guys, Mike Gusecki and TJ Hawkinson. That's pretty easy for me. The worst tier is the start-worthy tier right above that, although there will be some disagreement on whether Hayden Hurst belongs in that tier. He could easily jump up at least one tier for me. He's probably already made that jump for everybody else on the planet. But it's the leftover guys that are good enough to be starting – Week one, 
but you don't really feel great about it. And that'll happen for me. I think that starts happening. Those players start coming off the board in round nine. I think if you hear Hayden Hurst in round nine, you either go, man, it's too late. He's going to be awesome. Or, ew, I don't want him at that point. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that go, all right, Hayden Hurst, round nine. That sounds good. So he'll, he'll, be, he'll be a little polarizing just because he hasn't done it yet. We're talking about a tight end that's had limited opportunities. Getting a great one in Atlanta, we'll see if he can come through with it. I uh, struggle with this question. Yeah, it's a bad. It's not a good anybody. question. It's yeah. Um, because like in the they might be elite tier, Darren Waller's going in the sixth round, and Rob Gronkowski's going like round ten. I don't know how to quantify the value of that tier. Okay, well that didn't help. So Dave's answer though, <laughs> the start worthy tier being the worst one is Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst, and Noah Fant. And again, this is, you know, Dave's tiers. Everybody's people are gonna have different tiers. The one that Ben liked, the streamworthy tier, according to Dave, is Gasicki, Cook, Johnu Smith, Goddard, Doyle, Sternberger, Ebron, Hawkinson, and Ian Thomas. What what do you think your chances like if you draft one of those guys, your chances of having a starter for the year is? Like you drafting that's your second tight end, or you're drafting two of them and hoping one or two hits. You could theoretically use them in week one and carry only the one tight end. There's nine tight ends there. I would imagine that every year for the past few years, there's maybe been two or three tight ends that have gone from rags to riches, whereas they were either drafted late or not drafted at all, and then they finish as a top twelve tight end. So I'd say maybe there's a thirty percent chance just overall that one of those guys would uh, would finish as a top. 12 guy and you could use them all year long oh i would say Gasicki's at the top of the list by the way and i think he's got the best chance to be that guy if we're just saying the chances of one of those guys being a top 12 tight end i'd say it's more like 80 percent sure no if i'm not talking about one, one of those guys i'm saying you probably one, one of your chance. chance but yeah oh, right I, yeah I, I, I i read it and i heard it as he's saying all these guys you just pick one what's the odds overall sure so spread it around but yeah. also it's like Finishing number 12 at tight end and playing 16 games. That's not somebody you wanted to start all year. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, the, the standards are pretty low. And Gasicki is so interesting. We bring this up a lot. His first two games are the Patriots and the Bills. Um, so, I mean, by that definition, he probably is not stream worthy, although he did catch a touchdown against the Patriots in week 17. Yep. He had four catches, and he's, more, and he's way more of a wide receiver than a traditional tight end anyway. It will be really interesting to see um, how he's used in Chan Gailey's offense. Okay. He's going to be used as the wide receiver. Mark it down. He's, he, he may end up being the number two receiver for Miami this year. Preston Williams played half a season and had better numbers. Sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> is Preston Williams going to be available? Like we, we keep going back and forth on Preston Williams, but he tore his ACL in November. Let's see how he looks. How many times does a player tears ACL in November and come back in September the year after and it's just fine like nothing ever happened and it Co- wasn't like Cooper Cup. amazing yeah I, I mean uh, torn ACLs don't scare me that much anymore but Cooper Cup's an example but I can't really think of that many off the top of my head Adrian Peterson tore it like on Christmas Day he or did, something yeah, right? but right that's Adrian there. Peterson we're talking about Preston Williams but, I mean, but he's much younger than different Adrian athletic specimens yeah I mean not according to Heath. Justin Williams is a pretty good athletic <laughs> specimen. Yeah, he's the reason he got in the draft because of off-field uh, problems, right? I will say I don't know that ranking... If he was that good of a specimen, he would have been picked. 
I don't know that ranking the Miami weapons is really that relevant because Preston Williams and Devonta Parker play on the outside and Gasicki was playing in the slot a ton. So like, if you think that Gasicki is going to be in that same role and I, I do worry a little bit about Albert Wilson, but he ran more way more slot snaps than any other tight end in the league. Uh, I think it was a hundred plus more snaps out of the slot. Um, so if he's in that role again, like he'll, he'll be out there and Preston Williams will be out there and, and Devonta Parker will be out there. He passed blocked on 2.4% of his maps. <laughs> He's a receiver. He's not a tight end. All right, let's uh, get into the tiers. Start with the elite tier. Round two guys, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Um, yeah, self-explanatory. Anything to say about these guys? The only thing to say is, are they? where are they really worth taking? In the first. I mean, this is like the, I was just going to say the same thing. This is such a hard decision for me because I think they're both so valuable. You can justify taking them in the first round. Uh, But at the same time, this is such a deep position and you only need one that it really kind of handcuffs the rest of your strategy. If there's a, if there's a tight end value you like later. And I found myself when I've taken one of them still taking a guy like Gasicki really late, if he falls enough, I'm never going to start him, but I just, you know, I think there's so much upside and I think he's the best value pick at that point. It, it's a it's a tough thing. Sometimes I pass them where I think they're the best value for sure. Kelsey and Kittle, that is, um, just because of roster construction. Uh, I, I will say, like, I'll I can answer Adam's question now. This is my favorite value based on current ADP because Kelsey's at uh, twenty one and Kittle's basically at twenty four, and I think those are both uh, too low. But I don't think it's like I I don't know if I'm taking either guy in the top fifteen. And I don't know how great I'd feel taking Kittle around 18th, 19th, 20th overall. In fact, I wouldn't. Well, then you think they're going to be worse than they have been the last two years. Maybe so, but I'd rather attack the other positions for what Ben just said, the tight end group this year. Finally, we've got a list of names that we can feel really good about. And even if I miss out on Kelsey or Kittle by choice or because other people draft them in front of me, I know I can still get a good tight end as soon as round three and as late as potentially round eight. Yeah, I think those aren't mutually exclusive. I think you can say that they're good values and you don't think they're going to be worse, but they're also not someone you want to reach on because of the way it impacts your roster construction. So it becomes a thing where, yeah, they're good value. If you take them, you know you're getting them later than you probably would rank them just purely based on what their their value is. Um, but at the same time, like you, when you make that plunge, you're, you're committing to a certain strategy. I think I maybe just feel different about the depth. Like it is definitely deep relative to past tight end years, but it's not deep relative to other positions. Like quarterbacks, a much deeper position. Wide receivers, a much, much deeper position. I Running back might be just as deep. Well, that, I think that think comes so. into play though in the second round when you're going, all right, do I take Kelsey or do I take Drake How was, or Mixon wait. or something? How is running back or even wide receiver is deep? I don't like I maybe in sheer numbers, but in, in terms of ADP, I can draft a tight end that I feel very good about in the double digit rounds. I, I won't. But like, you I love receivers, but I won't want to start double digit round receivers and definitely not double digit round running backs right away. Okay, But I think that the double digit round tight ends that you feel very good about, you're projecting something onto them that like we can do with wide receivers as well. Like you, you feel very good about Mike Gesicki and TJ Hawkinson because you think they're going to be much different fantasy performers than they were last year. Or no offense. Um, yeah. But we, 
a few of those guys last year that just weren't. No, I, I, you make a good point. I mean, we could sit here and I was not going to say this because I, I don't want this show to be the tight end preview that we're going to do next month. But um, you can say tight end so deep, whatever. But I do feel like we've said that often and it's never true. Uh, I know that we have guys that we like, but at the end of the day, Kelsey always is just so much better than almost everyone else, you know, um, or at least the top like four or five guys every year are so much better than everyone else. And Kelsey is always number one, four years in a row in PPR. Uh, it, yeah, it's not like, I don't know how deep it is because it's deep. It's deep in terms of your hopes for people. We have hopes for these guys, but a lot of them are not going to work out. It's just, it's just tight end stats just aren't that good. I don't know. You know, sure. I, I don't know that this is going to be like a revolutionary year for tight ends, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That maybe that's, that's been talked about for a long time and it's never really happened. I mean, you can yeah, talk about yeah. maybe 2018 to a degree it was, but it's not like we had this whole truckload of tight ends just amass huge numbers. It was top heavy. And that's how it was oh, last year. But I, I think everybody should feel a little bit more comfortable with the talent that's available at tight end to at least begin the season with as reliable starters. The question I'd pose to you guys is Kelsey in round one or Gronkowski in round 10, which one would you rather have? If you take Gronk in round 10, you got a guy you can start. He's not going to be as good as Kelsey, but then you're getting somebody who's really good in round one instead of Kelsey. And that's yeah, obviously an Gronk. opportunity cost. Kelsey gives you a huge advantage, but so does an early round running back or an early round receiver over who you would take late. And right. It's the same deal with quarterback. I mean, it's the same deal with any position. Like, you know, the difference between what you expect out of Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and, and what you expect out of your favorite late-round QB. I, mean, I think there's plenty of upside in these late-round tight ends. I agree. And I guess it, it it also comes down to maybe you've just been bit by, you know, you've maybe you've just had nightmares at the tight end position over the past couple of years, and you're going in your draft this year saying, I'm done with it. I want to have a tight end that I can count on week in and week out. I don't want to mess with the position. And if that's how you feel, then you should really target Kelsey or Kittle ahead of where their ADP is and right now. This might be totally different from Ben's projections, but I just looked like that specific question that you asked. Cause I thought it's, I've got 100 points separating Travis Kelsey from Rob Gronkowski in the projections, 100 PPR fantasy points. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ Moore. DJ Moore is a wide receiver that I have projected very close in terms of fantasy points with Travis Kelsey. Yep. You go down to about wide receiver, receiver basically wide receiver 56 to get to the same wide receiver that I project for the same number of points as Rob Gronkowski. Um, What do you have for Gronk, by the way? 160 PPR fantasy points, um, 55, 744 and six basically. That's pretty good for him. 160 PPR points isn't that bad if you assume he's not going to play 16 games. It's more than 10 per game. But that is 16 games for him, right? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's, it would be 10 a, per game, but I don't think he's playing. I don't think if, oh, I see. The projection was for 16 games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess my point was like my number, and this is probably why I feel this way, and it could be different. My number 12 tight end, I've got projected for 150 fantasy points. That's an enormous difference from Kelsey and Kittle. And you've got to get to like wide receiver 60 before you fall off to that type of difference at wide receiver. Yeah, I, I have the same. Um, I, I don't have Kelsey, I guess, as high as DJ Moore because I'm really high on Moore, but I have him as essentially a top 10, like very back end of the top 10 wide receivers. And then I have only 10 tight ends before I hit to about 150. And I have Gronk actually at 144. And same as you said, it's a you know, late in the fifties for me to get down to there at wide receiver. So my projections 
confirm all that. <laughs> so I just want to ask you one more thing. Um, I only had Kelsey, I think, in one league last year. And I took him first or second round. I, I oh, really fe- you didn't get him in round six? I felt like I was disappointed. I I don't know. I, I felt like he did not carry my team the way I really needed him to. And he only had five touchdowns last year. That was that was a big difference. But I kind of think if you're taking him in the first round... No, I'm going to say this for sure. If you're taking him in the first round, he needs to do better than he did last year. He needs to do what he did in 2018. Maybe a little worse than that. He doesn't have to, to do quite that well because 2018, we had three of like the greatest tight end seasons ever with those with Kittle, Kelsey, and, and Ertz. I'm not sure he has to do that, but he, he has to be closer to that than, he, than 2019, in my opinion. Did uh, you feel that disappointment during the season? Yeah. Adam, was that a PPR league? I believe it was a half PPR league. Okay, because he caught 97 balls. He had over 1,200 yards. Those are pretty he, ridiculous tight end yeah, numbers. But he just wasn't scoring. He only had five I remember touchdowns. Remember, he didn't have Mahomes for a few games here and there. So, like, you would be pretty disappointed from five touchdowns from anybody in the first round. Sure. At any position, and I don't really know. But in PPR, he scored 33 more points than any other tight end. I mean, Kittle missed a couple games, but um, oh yeah. It, part of it is he's not going to score as many raw points, but you, you're not going to see that on your ledger, the advantage he's giving you over over your opponent's tight ends every week. Right, but if Adam didn't think about that during the season, if at any point during the season Adam didn't go, well, at least I don't have to mess with tight end, then that just it, it makes it another strike against Kelsey being such an early pick for your team. Yeah, sure. I'm looking at his game log. He really kind of just went off in the second half and just couldn't score in the first half. And maybe it was just like, it, you know, his production. I just didn't make the playoffs and didn't get really all of his great production. I don't know. But uh, I think he needs to be a little bit better. He just has to catch more touchdowns. That's all. But he has been the number one tight end in PPR four straight years. Okay, glad we didn't spend much time on that tier. Let's go to the next tier, uh, the near elite tier, Zach Ertz, Mark Andrews, and that's it. Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews in the near elite tier. Dave, want to lay that one out for us? They're both, they both have the potential to finish as, uh, I, I hesitate to say the number one tight end in fantasy for either guy, but maybe number two, certainly number three. And I get it with Andrews. He's been really efficient with Lamar Jackson. He's catching a lot of touchdowns. And Ertz has been a, a steady hand at the tight end position. And it's a matter of whether or not he'll still get the same type of target share in Philadelphia now that their receivers are A, healthy, and B, faster, and C, younger. Um, but they're both, I, I think we can all agree that Andrews and Ertz are reliable starters. You'd feel almost the same way about them as you would Kelsey or Kittle in terms of, well, I don't have to worry about the position. I can set it and forget it with these tight ends. They're not going to let me down. They're so different players, though, too. Like Ertz is a guy that has been such a high reception player, low efficiency and we're concerned that his role might be shrinking a little bit with the emergence of Dallas Goddard and new receivers. Andrews is this lower target, lower reception, high efficiency player. And there's some reason to believe that his role could expand with Hayden Hurst gone if he you know, just plays a few more snaps. I mean, now obviously he's a, uh, a diabetic and, and that's part of the reason he doesn't play a full set of snaps. And we don't know how you know all that's going to play out, but there is some possibility that he he sees an uptick in routes and snaps, and that would be pretty huge for him. And it's just wildly different players. It's so hard to to value them against each other. Okay, but I I think a lot of people are going to find themselves in late round four, early round five, 
with those two guys on their mind. I, you know, this tier makes sense. It's the same in non-PPR and PPR, Ertz and Andrews. So let's go to the next tier. They might be giants. They might be elite. Tyler Higby, Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, and Rob Gronkowski. Tyler Higby, Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, and Rob Gronkowski. Heath, does anyone uh, not belong in this tier? I would only have three players in this tier. Um, Ingram, Waller, and Henry. But I do think that like Higby and Gronk may have as much upside. I'm not sure any of them have as much upside as uh, Waller does, really. If things just stay the same and he scores more touchdowns, then he's probably better than Andrews and Hurts again. But um, yeah, I would just I would have Waller, Ingram, and Henry in this tier, and then Higby and Gronk would be my next tier. I find it impossible to believe that Darren Waller is going to have everything the same. He had almost 120 targets last year. Um, they've done a lot to improve their passing game, both in terms of young wide receivers and running backs. I I think he could be more efficient, but I think his targets are going to go down. I can't argue about it against his touchdowns, though. He only scored three times last year. That could double. But I bet his catches and yards go down considerably. Yeah, I have his catches and yards going down in my projections, but I, I have gotten a little bit more optimistic about him after I did projections because even though I cut him all the way to 94 targets, uh, which was a significant drop from what, where his role was last year, he still wound up as my tight end six. So, and I actually, I agree with Heath, same tier. I would have Ingram, Waller, and Henry, I think. Um, and I, I think it's true that the last two years in the Gruden Carr era, tight ends are the only position that's topped 100 targets. Oh, that makes sense. It is true. Jared Cook. Yeah. That was when, like, the entire again, the entire receiving core fell apart around Cook in 2018, and basically the exact same thing happened in 2019 to Waller. Well, they had Amari Cooper, and he just got five targets a game. They had Jordan. Yeah, part of it's Derek Carr. They had Cooper only for half the season, right? But he averaged five targets per game. Who, Cook or Cooper? Cooper. (laughs) It's so weird. He had 31 targets in six games. Right. In some games he had decent target share, and some games he didn't. It was stupid. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so so Dave, I guess your general reaction to Heath and Ben saying that Wall, Waller, Henry, and Ingram have more upside than Higby and Gronk. Well, they definitely have more upside than Gronk. I agree with that. I just I love what I saw from Higby late last year. I would imagine the Rams also loved it. Goff was pretty good in those games. At least his fancy totals were good compared to the games prior to them with Higby on the field. And I think Higby will end up being a staple in that offense. And I love that he was more than just, you know, pure blocking short area tight end. They'd line him up wide. They'd use him on screens. He's he's more quick than fast. He doesn't have speed to him, but he can make a cut or two in the red zone and boom, he's wide open for a touchdown. Like if there's the, the thing that bothers me about Cooper Cup being ranked where I have him ranked and I still have him ranked very high is that Higby could absolutely eat into his touchdown share. Both of those guys, are they should turn into like twin best friends for Jared Goff in the red zone. And Higby was averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of like 11 targets per game in those final five games. It was preposterous. But even if that dips down to seven or eight, he's still going to be a very good fantasy tight end. And I like that upside in a Rams offense. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball that well. And I think they're going to need short area targets for, for Goff to throw to. And Higby fits that perfectly no matter what the matchup is. I want to talk about Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram real quick, and then we'll get to Gronk. Uh, tell me how much this matters to you. Hunter Henry in his career, he's at, oh, I think it's 8.9 yards per target. 
and Evan Ingram is at 7.1. You know, Hunter Henry's basically Travis Kelsey per target. Ingram is 7.1, but, you know, 2018, he was 9.0. Uh, it's been kind of up and down. But, you know, does that does that mean that Hunter Henry's better than Evan Ingram? No. Ingram, we've talked about his uh, average depth of targets a lot lower. That impacts the yards per target. And the reason it's up and down is, you know, whether or not he has a lot of yak in a given season, a lot of yards after the catch. And he's had such a small sample that um, – you know, I'm not that worried about it. It, it has, to me it has a lot more to do with his depth of target being well below average. They haven't used him as vertically as um, the Chargers have used Henry. Okay. The only reason it bothers me is because my recollection of Jason Garrett's time in Dallas was that Jason Witten was almost exclusively used within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Ingram's going to necessarily improve on that efficiency. I, I like him for targets. But yeah, just to put numbers on that, Henry's dot was 10.4 last year. Uh, the average tight end's about 7.5-ish, I think, 7.6 or 7.4, one of those numbers. So he's about three yards uh, above league average for a tight end, more downfield. Uh, Ingram was at 5.8, so well below league average and almost half of, of Henry's depth of throw. So that, that really impacts the yards per target number. And by the way, last four games of the season, well, last four seasons that Daniel, last four games that Daniel Jones started in the season, Caden Smith had 20.4%, had a 20.4% target share. Caden Smith was on pace for 100 catches, 880 yards, and 12 touchdowns on 132 targets. And that was with Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate all healthy. Only Golden Tate missed one game of those four. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Daniel Jones certainly threw a lot to Caden Smith. He threw a lot in general, 36, 37, 42, and 47 pass attempts in those four games. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Ingram and Henry, you do have to make somewhat of, a, of, of an investment in them. And they both, I think, do you guys agree, both Ingram and Henry have, and Waller, a lot of outcomes, you know, big, yeah. big upside. Everybody big downs. in this tier yeah. has a lot. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. It's like, do, we, do you go for this tier? Or do you just say, oh, I'm just going to wait, get the other positions here, and just take one of those Jonu Smiths and you know stream tight ends if I have sure. to. But I don't want to have a bust in the seventh, eighth round, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't take one in the in the in these rounds. You know, Dave notes this is kind of where they go. I I would want to wait and get uh, a a value on one of these guys. Uh, you know, I took Henry in the the Scott Fishbowl, but he was a huge value, and same with Waller. But I'm not I'm not going to be jumping at the next tight end after the top four come off the board at all. No. I agree with you on that, Adam. Absolutely. Don't do that. And really how you feel about these five tight ends might shape how you should approach tight ends in your draft. If you see these names and you go, well, I'm not sure how I feel about them, then then maybe you should prioritize those first four tight ends and go get one of them on draft day. Or maybe you like the guys that you can get later and you just commit to streaming the position. It's so dependent on the individual draft. I mean, you look at an FC ADP, Waller's at 66th overall. Hunter Henry is 99th overall. Well, if Hunter Henry's there in round nine, yes, I'm jumping on that every time. I'm pretty fine with taking the last of these three in round eight and feeling good about it. Yeah, I really like the value play that these guys have. Okay. Uh, I think that that's basically about it. We, we don't need to nitpick them. Okay. So right now. Fair we'll, enough. We'll, August. Um, and then Gronkowski. Last time we saw him, he wasn't good. 682 right. yards in 13 games. I mean, that's not terrible, but only three touchdowns. Um, that was 2018. Yep. You know, he was he was okay. 
good enough to be a top 12 guy, but nothing special. The year before that, though, almost 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns in only 14 games. So what the heck do we expect from Rob Gronkowski? I don't think you can have expectations. Oh, complete. Well, like I gave a projection for him earlier. It's complete BS. It's it's complete and total wild card. A believable statement. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then there's the whole Bruce Arians thing too. Do you care about that? I I think you're going to see this offense tailored mostly to what Brady's done, yeah. with a little bit more of pushing Brady in a direction of look deep a little bit more. We're designing this play right here, calling it right now for you to take a shot to Mike Evans, or, or maybe it's Gronk. I think Gronk makes a big impact in the red zone because I think it's going to be impossible for defenses to cover him and Evans and Godwin and the running backs out of the backfield when Tampa Bay gets inside the 20. And so it's really going to come down to what defense they're playing, how they approach tight ends, and whether or not they will try and take away Gronk and take their chances with the other wide receivers because you can really only double-team one guy at a time. And my guess is that they're going to focus on Evans first. And that means that Gronk could get off to a real nice start this season. Well, and what we don't know is, does Gronk need to be double teamed anymore? It's right. quite That's possible that one guy can cover him now. Yeah, we, we don't know anything. But I, I will say, as far as the Arians concerned, Adam, I'm putting way more stock in Brady's uh, history with Gronk than I am in Arians' history with, with generic tight end, insert name here. Generic tight OJ Howard. Do not call him a generic tight end. <laughs> but every other every other one before Howard was a worse name than generic for OJ Howard. <laughs> oh man. Free OJ Howard. All right. Next group, PPR in uh, PPR tier. This is called Start Worthy. This is the one that Dave alluded to is not really loving the value. Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst, and Noah Fant. Um, do Hooper, Hurst, and Fant have the upside of Ingram and Henry and Waller. Is it comparable or, or a significant step down? What do you think? Hurst does. Hurst, I mean, if Hurst steps into the Austin Hooper role, which is open for him in a team that will throw a ton again, they always have with Dirk Cutter, he'll get the targets. And, um, you know, if he gets the, the type of targets that Austin Hooper was getting last year, he absolutely has the Darren Waller type upside, yeah. Those numbers, by the way, are are 7.5 targets per game, and that was 2019. That's what Hooper averaged. It was 5.5 targets per game in 2018. So Hooper took a step forward um, in terms of target share last year. I think Hurst is going to have to earn it, but the good news is he might be able to earn that like in the first two weeks of training camp where they just look at him and they go, okay, this guy's going to be great. But we talk about Julio as a top 12-ish pick. We talk about Calvin Ridley as a top 40 pick. Is there truly enough there for Hayden Hurst to be better than what Austin Hooper has been the past couple of years? Or is he going to be right about where Hooper was, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And it makes drafting him at this point a great value. And it, it, it almost pushes Hurst up to where Ben has him and to where Heath has him. But he's never done it before. He's, he's an older player. He's got an injury track record. There's a lot that just doesn't make him a seamless fit into into Atlanta's offense, but he's about the same size as Hooper. He might be a little bit faster than Hooper. So if the lack of experience can be overcome, yeah, he, he could end up being one of the best bargains in on in draft day. And to be clear, like if he he doesn't have to be better to be Austin Hooper than Austin Hooper to be better than where even Ben and I have him ranked. Austin Hooper was a top eighth. Um Austin Hooper was a top four tight end on a per game basis last year and he was number six the year before. 
Um, yeah. If he's just Austin Hooper, he's a value of where we're drafting him. If he's worse than Austin Hooper, then he could still be as good as where we have. What I find interesting, like if let's say Hayden Hurst does not do this, I'm already projecting 150 plus targets for Julio and a huge increase for Calvin Ridley at 130 and Russell Gage getting close to 100 targets and this near the same amount of targets going to the running backs. And there's still 100 targets left for Hayden Hurst. I don't know, like if Hayden Hurst doesn't step into that role, that's got to mean that the Falcons are either running the ball more or someone that we're not paying attention to is getting a bunch of targets. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make as well. When you do projections, when, I have a lot of issues with projections, even though I do them and I love them. I have a lot of problems with distilling everything down to one projected number. But one thing you you notice for sure is the depth of a team. And Atlanta is the most concentrated passing game in the league, bar none. I, I don't think there's another one that I would I would rank as more concentrated. Yes, Julio and Calvin Ridley I'm projecting for 159 and 134 targets for their top two guys. Um, just absolutely monster lines. I think they're both going to be top 10 wide receivers. But behind Hayden Hurst, then you go to Russell Gage, Laquan Treadwell. Their number two tight end is either going to be Kari Lee, who was um, you know, playing in the in the XFL this spring, or Jaden Graham, who played a little bit at the end of last year. I think they like Graham. Yeah, I mean, and maybe, maybe he gets some targets, but... Uh, he wasn't like a, a a huge weapon when when Hooper was hurt at the end of last year. Like I, I just don't see how you project. Like you'd have to project him for seventy or eighty targets, basically. Like like you've said, like there's a lot of volume left over in this offense when you project it out. Okay, I bring it up every time, but last eight games of the year, Falcons gave up eighteen point six points per game and went six and two. Um, the first eight games, they gave up thirty one point two five points per game. They saved their coach's job. Their defense got a lot better. I don't know that we buy it. I think we expect them to have a bad defense, but it is possible that they turned a corner last year, their last eight games, 18.63 points per game. That is outstanding. And again, they went six and two. However, in those games, Matt Ryan still threw 41 passes per game. Right, because Dirk Cutter. I mean, that's a Dirk Cutter effect. When he was with Atlanta early in the 2010s, when he was with Tampa Bay, and when he was back with Atlanta last year, I, I agree with you. Atlanta's defense could be better, but no, I, still I don't, think I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was better. I still think it's going to be terrible. Yeah. But, but I still think right. even if they are good, Dirk Cutter's going to call a lot of passes. That's something you can kind of bank on, which is good to know for fantasy. Yeah. I, have, I, I dropped their pass attempts 10% from last year and still had to give Hayden Hurst a hundred targets. Okay. Maybe I should say, I think their defense will be bad. Not necessarily terrible. Um, and and what okay, you talk about him being Austin Hooper the last two years because Austin Hooper was has been the number six tight end in fantasy two straight years. Uh, but completely different circumstances. One year was 13 games, one year was 16 games. Like 2018, Austin Hooper, this is this is why tight end sucks. He was the number six tight end with 660 yards and four touchdowns. Like that's not an impactful year. It's just that's why Travis Kelsey's great, because the number six tight end often has numbers like that. Um, but last year he, he had 787 yards and six touchdowns, but before the injury, he was the number one tight end in fantasy and he was on pace for a, with almost 1100 yards and 11 touchdowns on 119 targets. So, I mean, Hooper took this massive step up and we're talking about Hayden Hurst, but Hooper's also in this group. And so is Noah Fant who, and neither you Hurst. Have wonder, you that? have to wonder if Hooper has some of that left in him even though he's changing teams. I mean, we can poo-poo the landing spot all we want, but Cleveland spent a lot of money to have him there. I'm sure it's to 
you know, help take pressure off of all their other offensive weapons and to give Baker Mayfield a, a big red zone threat. I almost view Hugh Hooper the same way I view Gronk. I think he's going to be big in the red zone for the Browns. And I think with the run game being what it is for Cleveland, they could get in the red zone a decent amount of times. Yeah. All I right. have them projected for the same number of targets and receptions, Gronk and Hooper. <laughs> so that's a <laughs> okay, let's, let's observation. Go to, go to the last, uh, go to the last tier here. Uh, stream worthy. And maybe some of these guys are start worthy. Maybe you draft two of them and see what happens. Gasicki, Cook, Jonu Smith, Dallas Goddard, Jack Doyle, Jace Sternberger, Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, and Ian Thomas. Gasicki, Cook, Jonu Smith, Dallas Goddard, Jack Doyle, Jace Sternberger, Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, and Ian Thomas. I know Ben loves Mike Gasicki here. Um, you've heard me say a lot of times I have no problem waiting and waiting and taking Jared Cook as like the 12th tight end off the board or whatever, and he could be my starter. Uh, Heath, who's your guy in this group? Uh, definitely John o. Smith is my favorite in the group, and then I'll throw out one more that I don't know if I heard his name or not, but Blake Jarwin should also... Um, I, I, I definitely consider him as somebody. like they, they might start the year out in a shootout with the Rams and the Falcons their first two games. I, I, I wouldn't mind starting with Jarwin at all. Yeah, that's a that's a guy that I projected a lot higher than I thought because there's a lot of wide receiver weapons and people are concerned. Um, but if you look at the Cowboys last year, another concentrated offense. Their top five main guys all had 70 or more targets, and I believe no one else on their offense had more than like 25 targets except Jarwin. He was the one guy. Their third tight end, Dalton Schultz, had like three or four targets all year, and they gave Jarwin this extension. It's pretty clear he's going to be their number one tight end. And if they're very concentrated again in an 11 personnel setup where they have three receivers getting a lot of targets, plus their tight end getting a lot of targets and not a lot of other guys involved, Jarwin winds up coming out pretty good in projections. Another guy I'd throw out is Chris Herndon that I think is in this group as well. Okay. I'm not a Herndon fan. Um, But I I, just one more point to make on Jarwin for whatever this is worth. Tight end targets in Dallas with Dak Prescott, they've averaged 106.5 per year. That includes one year where they were Dak targeted tight ends 92 times. There was no Jason Witten. That's 2018. Oh, okay. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to go just around the around the room. I'm going to give you each one player, and I want you to give me two to three sentences on how we should feel about this player. Um, I'm going to start with Dave with Mike Kosicki. Tons of upside, absolutely worth the value in an offense that's got um, potential to throw more often than not, week in and week out. I think that was like one sentence, like with a lot of commas. Did it? I finally <laughs> stopped talking. <laughs> Prepositional phrase. Heath, Jared Cook. Gross regression. Don't. <laughs> Three words. All right, Ben. Jadu Smith. Uh, everything you said at the top of the show, I, you know, I bumped him up 15 targets because of that. There you go. Dallas Goddard, Dave, uh, a league winner of Zacherts gets hurt four or five targets per game. If he doesn't Jack Doyle for Heath, super sneaky PPR tight end. He was a starting tight end the last time Eric Ebron wasn't there. Um, Jace Sternberger for Ben. I don't see it behind Graham last year, Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tanyan both got between 15 and 20 targets and Sternberger didn't get a single regular season target. He did catch a a playoff touchdown, but I don't, I don't see like they're giving him a chance to start. I don't see how he's the clear number one tight end in a, in a run heavy offense. Eric Ebron, Dave Sternberger has um, (laughs) 
good athleticism and potential to be better than just a red zone threat for the Packers and maybe even their number two receiver this year. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of Eric Ebron. Okay. <laughs> you definitely don't feel that way about Ebron. Um, uh, he, TJ Hawkinson. Do you want some words on Ebron or not? Yeah, yeah, go. Go, go. Uh, I think the Steelers are going to use him the same way the Colts did, which is as a red zone threat. Okay. I think he's bad. I think he's potentially bad news for all the other receivers in Pittsburgh. As gross as that sounds. TJ Hawkinson, Heath. Massive uh, upside based on his pedigree and skill level. Um, Probably needs an injury to one of the wide receivers, in my opinion. And finally, Ben, Ian Thomas. Yeah, another really good athlete. Um, My concern is that he's probably going to see a lot of his targets in the short area of the field, which is where Carolina just funnels so many targets to Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and even potentially Curtis Samuel if Robbie Anderson kind of takes over the deep role and, and Samuel plays more around the line of scrimmage. And that to me means that Thomas is going to be potentially boxed out of a high target role, basically. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here and read some emails when we come back on Fantasy Football Today. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Our first email is from Anthony in a beach town in New Jersey, Dave. Uh, Is Asbury Park on the beach? I don't think so. Wildwood, I think, is okay. Wildwood 12 team PPR, three receivers, and a flex six point per passing touchdown. I need to keep one of the following Miles Sanders in the sixth round, Chris Godwin in the ninth round, or Lamar Jackson in the 12th round. Man, that is tough. Godwin, Godwin, I could see the case for Sanders. I don't think I would keep Lamar. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Sanders. Okay. None of us are gonna say Lamar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Two Chris Godwins and a Miles Sanders. No matter what. Yeah. Uh, Justin from a college town north of Sacramento, California. Let's go with uh, where's Washington State? Where do they play? Pullman. 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 Pullman Washington. And I knew That's that. Right. I'm in a keeper league. Keep one player for up to three years at the round drafted for each year kept. I have the first pick. Um. In this type of league, would you reach on a player such as Jonathan Taylor at 3.1 or like a J.K. Dobbins at 7.1 in hopes of using them as a keeper for next year, but still provide potential value this year as well? So the question is, you know, in a keeper league where you can keep a player up to three years, do you reach for rookies? Um, So, you know, maybe maybe not great this year, but the next two years you could have really awesome value. 
And now we've reached the part of the podcast where Ben Gretsch gets to talk about Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Take it away, Ben. Hey, I saw the other day that uh, PFF graded all the offensive lines and the Colts have the number one offensive line by their recommendation, which is also they have the number one easiest schedule and they improve their defense. And I think we keep mentioning the Colts are a very underrated team and they're going to run the ball a ton because they're going to win like 12 games this year. So just throwing that out there. But yeah, they had to answer the question and say, yeah. And I actually like Dobbins better for this strategy. He's a great option in the seventh. If something happens to Ingram this year, he should be a star. Even if something doesn't happen to Ingram this year, when keeper season comes around next year, Ingram's probably not going to be there anymore. And then you have Dobbins at a clear value as a seventh rounder. Okay. How about uh, no name here? No name or city, Dave. Who's, who's this from? This is from Bill in uh, Nantucket. This is actually from Tommy Lee Jones somewhere in the Southwest. Howdy there, Llewellyn, Carson, Ed, Tom, and Anton. What? Right, that's uh, No Country for Old Men, right? I was thinking it was one of those movies. Yeah, that's why I went with Tommy Lee Jones. Which, I was thinking there will where does that movie take sure. place? Is that in Texas? Do we know? You could probably look it up. <laughs> it's a hell of, of a movie. That is one of the best movies yeah. of the last 20 years. Which Patriot is more likely to actually become fantasy relevant, Nikhil Harry or Damian Harris? I'm more likely to become is Nikhil Harry for me. Yeah. Well, uh, and I really I like guess. Harris coming out, but Harry Harry's going to have a better opportunity to start the year. What was that, Heath? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heath, have you seen No Country for Old Men? Yeah. And what'd you think? That was good. That's it? Just good? Okay. It was very I enjoyed it. Okay, yeah, it's good. Uh, this is from Matthew Cutters. Dear Michael, Val, George, Christian, and Ben. Batman. Batman. Um, please, Ben, tell me I didn't screw this up. I traded rookie picks number 5, number 9, and number 15 for A.J. Brown in our non-PPR Dynasty League. <laughs> Number five, nine, and 15 for Wolf. A.J. Brown. <laughs> Finally, we get to hear. Let's hear it. I don't think you screwed it up that bad. Oh, my gosh. Really? So we're looking at probably... Um, Lambert like, Judy should have been that fifth pick. Yeah, probably Lambert Judy. And if not, and, then one of the top three running backs. Lamb, Judy, or Dobbins? At yeah, five. I'd say Dobbins because number nine, I think you're, you're going to like the wide receiver at number nine better than the running yeah. back at number nine. It's, right. it, it's uh, it, So, I mean, an elite, yeah, I mean, this is an overpay, but an elite dynasty player, um, you typically expect to pay multiple firsts for, right? And and so the question is, where do you value A.J. Brown? I, I value him in the second round of startups. I mean, maybe not in non-PPR. This is definitely a lot. And he's right. Like my initial thought is, I don't know if I would pay this much for AJ Brown because there's a lot of players he could get at five, nine, and fifteen. But I don't think he screwed it up that bad like, when you really think about value. Let me ask you this, Heath: um, mm-hmm. five, nine, and fifteen for DJ Moore or for Chris Godwin? Chris Godwin, what do you think? Too much? I think it's probably still too much, but I could understand it a little bit more because I think. Like for me, DJ Moore and Chris Godwin are both already top 10 wide receivers and are going to help me win a lot more this year. And they're really don't like five years from now, they're probably just as good as AJ Brown. So 
I it's I still think it's a little too much, but I'd be more likely to do it. Okay. And, and in non PPR again, probably not. Not this is probably not the best move because you this, can you can if you can get J.K. Dobbins plus you know two receivers probably at nine and fifteen. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, in th- theory, you might be able to get like your number one wide receiver and another good wide receiver and Burrow. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, look, if if AJ Brown is awesome, then it might not be that big of an overpay. Like if he is as good as Chris Godwin or DJ Moore, we shall see. Um, right. Thank you to Matthew and the rest of the emailers. Thank you to all of you for listening. Tomorrow we're going to do a mailbag. We're going to do some games. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have to figure out which games we're going to play. It'll be late night for me. Coming up with some cool stuff. Maybe we'll do Fantasy Jeopardy in one of the categories. It'll be Azer stats. We'll see if you can guess my craziness. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you on Friday. Go win your league. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.